Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncensored CMO and another of our mini editions coming to you all the way from Cannes Lions Festival of Creativity. Now, as if my last episode with three guests, Les Burnett, Grace Kite and Tom Roach wasn't enough, I've got another triple bill for you. None other than Karen Nelson-Fields, Rob Britton and Orlando Wood. So what are they talking about? Well, anyone who was at Cannes last year or listened to my episode last year will know they did a fantastic presentation called Triple Jeopardy. They're back this time, but with a different question, the triple opportunity. How do we optimise media? How do we capture attention? And how do we use emotion to drive the performance of creativity? This is a genuinely fascinating conversation. I love this topic. And uh, these three have been working on some very, very groundbreaking uh, new research over the last few weeks, which they presented at Cannes. And I've got a little taster for you in this episode. So here it is. This time last year, we were sat here talking about Triple Jeopardy. And what a year it's been. Well, maybe let's start there. Um, how did the talk last year go down? Well, pretty well, I think, didn't it, Karen? I mean, so well, they asked us back. Yeah, they did. <laughs> that? They did. Yeah, yeah no, they, we've had a lot, lot of interest since, haven't we? And uh, we wanted to come back and tell the other side of the story, really, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, I think last year we presented some problems, right? This year we're presenting some solutions. So... I think it went well. And, and with empirical data, wasn't it? It was a new study that Rob uh, led, really. Well, we should introduce Rob, so. shouldn't we? Because Pe- should. Peter Field has morphed himself into Rob Britton. In, so you know, in case anyone remembers, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Peter, in case anyone remembers from last year. So, so Rob, um, introduce yourself. Love to find out what you do. And also talk about the study itself as well and what you did. Because th- something of a world first, bringing together some different data sources to answer some pretty big questions. Yeah, it was all very grown up. I mean, in, in a nutshell, I'm an independent consultant. So I spent 20 years client side building marketing effectiveness capability and now I'm a one-man band doing it by myself so which is very cool but one of the key relationships I have in Australia is with the Ad Council and they license and run the FE Awards and they've been building an effectiveness database so I write papers on their behalf with Peter Uh, but how it came out is Karen and I and Peter we we did a study didn't we towards the end of last year and it was the first one where we'd matched attention data to proper strong in-market effects data. And you know, the, the trends in there were really obvious, weren't they? And it was, so it was, it was one of those ones that in hindsight, you know, the results look obvious, but the approach that we took was quite groundbreaking, really. And so we, we published that towards the end of last year, and then um, Peter kind of drew Orlando into our orbit as well, because I know that, you know, you three had obviously worked together beforehand. But then we thought, well, a natural extension would be to bring in system one and understand emotion as a part of that as well. And hence, we ended up where we are today. And I mean, I had Peter on the show actually a couple of years ago, and he he said the relationship between ESOV is starting to break down, (laughs) he said, because it doesn't measure the actual attention achieved. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that Karen talks about very eloquently as well. But essentially, it's kind of uh, you get what you pay for. And yeah. so you can both spend the same amount. But if you spend it on something that doesn't work as well, then actually you don't get what you're paying for. And the paper prior to this one, uh, Karen came in and basically stated that, you know, that attention was the reason for that, which then led to us partnering kind of more fully, I guess, this year. And then obviously with That's Orlando right. and yourselves as well. Yeah. So ESOP still works. But it's, you know, it's not just how much you spend, but it's how you spend it. You know, 
with. And, and how much difference would there be between, in terms of you know actual reach achieved versus what you might think between a you know good a good a good campaign and a bad campaign? I'm going to pitch to Karen for that. Yeah, I was, I was that that is well and truly her wheelhouse. Well, I mean, the 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 tricky part is there's not one number, right? So the the way that people interact with a platform varies so so greatly across platform format, ad length, device. And the way that people interact with a format defines how much reach volume you actually will achieve. So you ask me, you know, what is it, what, what is that actually, there's not one number, but I mean, you know, you could safely say that a large majority of particularly web-based sort of programmatic online, you'd be lucky if you get 20% of the volume you pay for in terms of reach. I mean, that's pretty, like, meaningful, right, in terms of the amount of money that gets spent versus what you get for that money. That's pretty huge, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I don't judge that. I mean, CPM's another conversation altogether. But, you know, if, if you think you're getting something and you're not getting something, regardless if it's inexpensive, yeah. it's still not correct. Well, that, that you know, if, if I go back to my client days, I, I, I was buying reach, I was buying frequency, so I'd be sold, you know, this percentage of the population will see it this, this many times. But what happens, to the, I get, what happens to the reach curve when you adjust it for attention, for example? Well, so that's exactly the point that, you know, if, you're, if you have attention-adjusted reach curves alongside your normal reach curves, it gets adjusted down considerably relative to the volume that are actually looking versus the volume that you're buying, which has no relationship to the volume that's looking. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's the key point, isn't yeah. it? The, the difference between what's served up and what's actually consumed can, can yeah. be quite different. Describe, because obviously we haven't got the benefit of the charts here today, but, but just describe that for me, because I, I think it was quite dramatic in your presentation, the difference in, you know, attention through, let's say take a 30-second ad, yeah. the difference between one platform and another platform, you know, describe the difference between, you might expect between the two. Well, it depends on the user experience, right? So this is what people don't understand. There's, again, there's no... Each platform, you know, one might have audio on versus audio off naturally. One might be viewed horizontally versus vertically. One you can sit on a couch, one you're locked in a cinema. Like, they're all very different, but it's that user experience that defines how humans actually look at ads. And we see, if you think about a normal natural distribution, you know, the distribution can be super sharp, so you get a lot of people that watch super early and then just drop to nothing in five... Well, I'd say five seconds flat. It's actually less than that, right? Or you could have some that kind of watch on and off but do so consistently across the entire course of the view. So it's a much flatter distribution. So you might have 40% of your reach volume at the front and 40% at the end. So at least you know what you're dealing with there. And that, I mean, that has profound effects, doesn't it, for like how you brand the advertising. So you, when you see the big decay... It's like, and then you, and then you see when people actually put their branding in their ads. You know, I, I suppose Orlando it comes to the point that you often advise people in terms of fluent devices and, and how you create memory for your brand as well, isn't it? Yes, I mean, you know, if you create an asset that moves and lives like a character, then you know, then you can get straight on with the the action. And you've got the brand if you've established it. You know, this device, the brand from the very first moment. So that's one way, one creative way of dealing with it. But yes, it, you, as you say in the presentation, you know, if your branded moments are not till the very end and people have already gone, then, you know, what good is that? Mm, I was just going to add to that. I mean, you know, 
people generally understand to that if the ads are at the end, people won't be watching, but they don't understand that if it's in second two, they might not be watching either. <laughs> you know, there's another thing, there's another issue with that. Well, that, 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 that's a, well, to jump to another, our conversation we had last time on the podcast about the, 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 is it two and a half seconds typically for memory to be created? That's a pretty... Or a threshold. Yeah, you, that, you it I, I, threshold. I mean, it varies, but that's the yeah. threshold that we use because we see that um, when we do change in memory structures from a control and a test, that that's about the point in time when yeah. the needle moves a bit. Yeah. Now, obviously, we're here in Cannes, uh, Festival of Creativity, um, how much difference does the creative make, depending on which platform you're watching, in terms of amount of attention achieved? Yeah, well, so w- when we tested it, we, we did see a, a reasonable spread. So we, we, the test platform we used was YouTube Australia, so which worked very well because, you know, it's got text, so you can measure it pretty easily. So for Karen, that, that makes it a lot easier. But also everyone has the same opportunity to see. And but we had a spread probably between about three seconds and 10 seconds, you know, the sample that we had, which feels really big, but, you know, as Karen said, you know, actually that's expected. There's nothing that's breaking the top or the bottom boundary from that. So it, it does clearly make a difference, and it, but it's all the case of do people see it? I mean, I think it's fundamentally, it comes down to that at the end of the day. Yeah. So creativity, yeah, makes a huge difference, but you can create a wonderful ad and hide it with your media choices, or you can create a wonderful ad and make sure everyone sees it. Very good point. So, so if you so if you were given the choice between a really amazing bit of creative on a low attention platform versus a, let's say, average bit of creative on a high attention platform, who would win that? The latter. Interesting. So media choice can make a dramatic difference. It has a huge difference. I mean, one of the things I'd preface, and Orlando and I were talking a bit about this yesterday, is, you know, we're using award level data. So everything that's going in there is good. So I'd imagine in the broader world, the, you know, the the strength of creative will be wider. Um, Whereas creative boundary also platform boundaries will always be the same. And so but we saw even with these very strong ones, how much of a difference it made with that. So you'd imagine in the broader world of marketing, where there's a lot of stuff that's not as good as what we tested, you know, the you know, it'd be even even bigger in terms of the opportunity. So one of the one of the advantages of this study is, you know, we've got media data, attention data, and we've got emotional scoring from system one. Does that mean you're able to actually see the impact that emotion has on the amount of attention that's achieved on different platforms? Yeah, yeah, we did basically. So we, we saw a relationship between the two that you know emotional or strength of emotional reaction and attention were related I mean, back to Karen's points beforehand you know the the platform selection is the larger driver but it's like emotion is one of the things that can push it towards the top of that band so if there's a ceiling emotion is what's going to push it to the top of that ceiling in any given platform and it's lovely how different data points connect isn't it because also we know from Burnett and Field in terms of rational versus emotional campaigns and you know if you're a big brand versus small brand how that can help with the SOV so it's good that you know all these things are linked together um, well it wouldn't be a conversation with Orlando without referencing 17th century Baroque <laughs> art would it so right. um, can you explain uh, what that might tell us about I guess the question is how do you create emotion to achieve the kind of effects that Rob was well, talking about? Well, that was really what my section, I suppose, was was about. You know, there's Karen and Rob did a brilliant job on the the media side of things and the canvas for the work. And I described well, what do you put on the canvas as I opened, and you know, how do you create work with broad and popular appeal? And so, actually, I started with a film reference, but it was a scene, you know, between two people and something is revealed. And I described this 
as having what 17th century artists in Rome would called call morto e azione. So morto from movere, to move. And it's the stirring of the passions visibly in the face at an emotional turning point, you know, and there, there's an action associated with it. And often when something is revealed at the same time, an insight of some kind, you can amplify the force of that emotion. And often in great brand building advertising that has something to do with the brand and what the brand is bringing to the story, you know. So I showed some examples of this. I described how, you know, I sort of said, I'm going to use art history, but I'm also going to use psychology. So I talked a bit about the presencing right hemisphere of the brain and how it's attuned to context, to people, to understanding the whole of any given scene in lived time. It's better associated with narrative and metaphor and music. And this, you know, we showed a couple of ads, didn't we, from our set? You know, one that was, was, was very narrative and people were laughing, you know, and one that was very goal-orientated and words on the screen. And what we found was when we overlaid our emotional data on the business effect data is that it was these, what I describe as right brain campaigns for broad beam attention that drove the biggest effects, the most, the most very large effects. Yeah. And in line, actually, with what we found before with IPA data, working with Peter, remarkably consistent. And we found also that these right brain campaigns, they kind of work by increasing mental availability. So this helps them work in the longer term, lasting effects. But there are also some right brain campaigns that work particularly well in the short term, weren't there? So, you know, they work now and into the future, sort of present and future earnings. You know, it's possible to, to do that. And I guess I sort of wrap, I tried to wrap everything the three strands together, didn't we? So you yeah. talked about, you know, how high attention media increase mental availability and business effects in yeah. your section. Indeed, and yeah. Karen talked about why that was and how to extend, uh, if you can extend, and to the extent to which you can extend your attention through emotional work. But of course, emotion works to put things in memory too. And that's an important part of brand building and its effects. So I, I sort of drew these three strands together and sort of concluding slide, we showed, we had we grouped our campaigns into low emotion creative, low attention media, sort of negative investment in extra share of voice. Showed that they were the ones with the poorest outcomes. Mm. And then when you improve your creative, but the other two variables, you know, your media and your investment are still weak. You know, it improves things, but only up to a point. You know, you've still got to have high attention media and an investment behind it. Of course, what you really need, the third bar in this chart, the biggest bar, was all three. And that was the triple opportunity that we were talking about, really, the investment in high attention media, the emotive, creative, and and extra positive extra share of voice um just for anyone listening as well um who may not be familiar with with the sort of left and right brains what are the kind of features that create emotion and and create, capture attention and lead to business results to describe the difference between the left and right yeah. just so anyone listening can understand yeah, so, so the, the types well, of we're the, talking about. you know so I, I they're in in my books if anyone's interested but the right hemisphere broad beam attention is about really a scene the living shorthand character incident place you could say expression in the face and body narrative 
metaphor, humor, music also. These are the sorts of things. This sort of describes a general style of advertising which is m- more likely to engage, and I showed some data to, to reveal that. And then the sort of mechanistic style of advertising so associated with performance advertising with words on the screen, you know, highly rhythmic soundtracks, probably not much colour, just black and white visuals, you know, pounding you. This kind of thing, unless you are interested in the product or you've been primed somehow for, to like the brand previously, that kind of interesting advertising is just not interesting to people. Give, give me an example of both. What, what was the example used in the presentation for... I used uh, it, was right a, it was a Kit Kat ad that I used... Uh, for the for the broad beam attention example, a couple of guys trying to put set in olden times, trying to put a catapult together using a kind of um, uh, a kind of IKEA plan. You know, it wasn't IKEA, but you know what I mean. And having the problems to do with it, you know, and then they have to take a break, and then everything's all right. That was a good example of this, you know, the frustration revealed through the body. The guy kicks the catapult, and you know, and then they have a break. And then the other example was um, it was a Samsung ad from the set, and it was all about finding things in their ads. So it was very goal orientated. You know, if you can find a you know a code in this ad, then we will give you a phone type thing. So it's, that's a very different style of advertising. Yeah, that's very very helpful. Um, just, just to come just to sort of conclude, what I'd love to get you know from each of you what would be the one tip from your presentation to to take away to as as marketers wanting to optimize because i guess if we think about esov what's amazing if you know pick pick the right right media with the right creative you you know you can uh, improve your esov relationship to to share of market so maybe i'll start with rob yeah no problem so one of the things that that we'd seen with the data set that we had was that those who had negative esovs so they're the campaigns that they kind of they knew they didn't have enough money to invest really to drive brand growth they all invested in lower attention platforms and I had some people come up to me afterwards and say, actually, this is really true, but it was part that really resonated with them. So they have less money than they need, and then they invest it somewhere that is less effective. And so they get kicked twice. Not enough money, and then the money you're spending, you're spending in the wrong place, which then means lower effects, which then means next time when you go back and the CFO is saying, well, actually, didn't really work very well last time, did it? So no, you're not having more budget. And it can kind of lead to this destructive cycle. So I think part of it is know your boundaries at the end of the day you know know where to invest don't be concerned about paying higher cpms you know don't try and stretch your money further it's actually that i think that's quite a misnomer and at the moment that's important because marketing budgets are shrinking and there's a risk that they'll be funneled into channels but actually don't drive the growth that the brand requires at that time. I hadn't thought about about when you have less money or maybe you're earlier in your life cycle as well. I was doing a panel with uh, someone from Vinted, uh, which is an app for selling second-hand, second-hand clothes. And uh, they, they went on TV quite early. And, of course, the panel, the panel was going, why'd you do that? And they said, well, because we had to. <laughs> You know, that was the only chance we were going to have of being able to compete was to was to put all, you know put a big bet on that. I thought it was quite uh, quite enlightened of them. So following your advice, yeah, exactly yeah, point. yeah. yeah. And, but one of the things that Karen kind of when we were talking about it, he said because you know when you go for a lower CPM, you kind of think yeah, it's cheaper, right? But then if you're not getting the attention that you need, you need to deliver more impressions yeah. in order to do that. You need higher frequency. Actually, your CPM is much much higher than you think it is. So you could pay one Exactly. One. You might only be getting 20% of what you think you're going to get. I mean, genuinely, it's like mind-blowing as well. Karen, tell me, what would, what would be your top tip for anyone listening? Um, I mean, Relate, I mean, you've talked a fair bit about the 
you know, the relationships that we found. But I think my top tip would be to the listeners that the volume piece that we were talking about. So, you know, how you interact with a platform defines, well, sorry, how the user experience is, is designed defines how much attention the average person will pay. And you can't get away from that. So creative can't help deviate significantly. It's kind of within these boundaries, which Orlando also talked about. So my top tip would be, you know, really understand what a platform is capable of delivering, what these boundaries are, so that when you have a campaign that has this particular objective versus that particular objective, you know what you're dealing with. Um, and then you can kind of fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And design the creative for the limitations correct. or potential of the platform, That is correct. Right? So, you know, we talk a lot about low-attention platforms, but they, there is a role to play for them in terms, but just not long-form, memory-forming, yeah. structural, brand-building type. So it just um, just understand it and, and fit for format. Fit for format. There you go. That's a good, good soundbite there. Orlando, what would you say? What would be your top tip for um, anyone thinking about the creative? Well, I mean, I, I kind of, perhaps it's sort of how I concluded the presentation, actually, which was, um, and forgive me, but in the 17th century, this hierarchy of genres emerged in painting and it denoted their value. And at the very top were paintings with narrative and people, metaphor, all of those things. And at the very bottom were sort of close-up still life paintings and I couldn't help observing that this is exactly what we found to be true in advertising too in terms of the type of advertising that captures and holds attention and generates an emotional response and so I concluded you know well perhaps we should be valuing advertising in the same way that that kind of advertising with morto etzioni as I said you know is the is the advertising that that has greater commercial value so if you're an ad agency you know charge more for it you really should because it, it's worth well, some welcome that'll be welcomed by yeah. a lot of and, people and, on the course I think. and if you're an advertiser you know if you're looking for growth then ask your agency for a bit more of it and actually if you're a media platform you know you should be creating visible large visible canvases to allow this kind of work to play out on it that's another way to look at it, actually is how the how do the media platforms evolve the you know the stage on which the uh, creative work is shown that's another way to look at it, isn't it? As well as optimising creative. Yes. So something of a challenge to throw out at the end there. Very good. Well, I'm glad we're talking opportunities this year. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, if people would like to watch the presentation, where can they do that? That's an excellent question. I think Walk will probably make a recording available for anyone who signs up at some point. That's, that's certainly what's happened before, isn't it? So they did last year. So look out for it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll include the links in the show notes. Uh, thank you all. Thank you so much. It's great to have all three of you on the show. And thank you for coming back. And uh, best of luck. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Uncensored CMO. Hope you enjoyed that mini episode all the way from Cannes. Now, if you'd like to find out more about the Uncensored CMO, please go and do hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're watching on YouTube, hit subscribe there too. If you want to follow me, I'm over on Twitter at Uncensored CMO. And you can find me on LinkedIn where I am under my normal name, John Evans. Thanks for watching and listening. I'll see you next time.